Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Gold Mines. I guess first and foremost, I should say Happy New Year. Better late than never. New year, new us, new people. You know what we do here. We get inside the minds of amazing comedians. And oh my God, what amazing minds they are. And today, well today... Today is not just an amazing mind. This is a master of none. Oh, my God. How do I do it? What is this? This is a podcast. Someone asked me, like, you're doing Kevin's thing. Are you doing, are you doing heart to heart? I was like, I guess so. And then I found out that's a different project. That's, that's the interview show on Peacock. Then I'm like, am I doing the thing where I'm going to be in a cold tub? Like, no, that's a different thing he does for YouTube. You know, I don't, I don't ever do podcasts or anything. I, I'm only doing this because I never see you because you're either – you're either like yeah. filming uh, a, a, a comedy movie or a, a drama series or <laughs> you're doing uh, what like the show where it's like you and the plastic cup boys hanging out with cars. That's like in his fifth season or yeah. it's too much stuff, man. It's a lot of shit. It's too much. This is an intervention telling you you got to slow down. It's too much. <laughs> I got to stop. I got to stop. People would be like, hey, man, this is. This is too many interview shows. That's this is all real husbands. Is that that's still on the air? You still on that show? Yeah, yeah. We're coming back with another season. I'm doing a uh, a limited. <laughs> I did a limited series encore callback season. Yeah, I decided to do it. <laughs> I do a joke about this in the special. You saw the joke where I talk about you, and uh, you know, for people yes. that haven't seen it or whatever, the joke basically I I say like I'm an okay comedian, but I'm a terrible businessman. And, you know, I'm only getting the money for the tickets here. But if Kevin were here, it would be like live streaming to his new lawnmower. And I just started a partnership with John Deere. And, you know, anytime. But I, I want everybody to know that it's all love. And, and you've you seen me do that joke. I brought you up at the cellar after doing that joke, which was really fun. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Aziz Ansari is on Comedy Goldmines. And Aziz, first of all, thank you. Thank you for doing it because I know you don't do shit like this. And, you know, we have to make things like this special. And the reason why they become special is because of the unique relationship, the real friendship, the authenticity of just great conversation between comics. Um, that was my reason for doing the podcast. I said, I don't want to do a podcast, you know, where I'm just doing what other people do. I said, I have an opportunity to just have real dope conversations with my friends and allow the world to hear us talk about the craft that we love so much um, and talk about our journey of, 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 I guess you can say, our work, the work journey slash whatever on this road to success that we've had, man. And you've had quite the fucking run, man. Uh, an amazing success story you are, Aziz. Where are you from, for the people that do not know? I, I grew up in South Carolina, 
I was born in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and I grew up mostly in a small town called Bennettsville. Aha! And comedy. Comedy is a discovery how. Like, you know, is this a, is this the family thing? Is this a family goddamn uh, craft? Are there other people that have pursued the world of funny that you said, I want to do what they did, or are you the first? Uh, Well, I mean, my dad, he's a doctor, but he is kind of, you know, he's a funny guy, and, and, um, you know, I, I, I grew up like being around someone with a sense of humor and I liked making people laugh, same stories, everybody, I guess. But I, I didn't start doing stand up till I went to NYU. I was, uh, um, I was like, a, it was like the summer of my freshman year and I started doing comedy at the Comedy Cellar, actually. I did, I did like, they had new talent nights back then and that, that's what I, um, that's what I started doing. But why? Why, why comedy? What was it that made you say, you know, I, I need to get on that stage? I mean, you know, I was in college and there was like, we were hanging out with some friends and someone was like, oh, you know, I was telling like a funny story or something. And someone was like, oh man, you should, um, you should do one of those new town nights and try to do stand up. And then kind of the same thing happened again a week later. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then I went to the comedy cellar because I was like, all right, I've never even been to a comedy club. I've just seen like, specials on tv and things like that so i went and i and um i was like oh yeah i think i can do this i mean it was like a good night to go for that kind of situation because like there wasn't many people there the guy was kind of tanking and and i was like yeah yeah i can i can do this and isn't it weird when you when you go right like i i tell the story of me going to my first comedy club man and there was this weird energy that was in the building. And it's like this thing. And I, 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 this was the Laugh House, Philadelphia, PA, the first comedy club that I've ever set foot into. Because like you, you know, you said it's not something that, that you were aware of. It's not like this was a world that we frequented in. And when you make the decision, you got to find out where to go. And it was something about seeing somebody on stage, seeing those bright lights, seeing an audience laugh, uh, at another person's, at another person's story, talent. It was something that hit me, where where I instantly said, "This is what I want to do. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I can do this. This this could be my thing." Was it that type of lightning bolt for you, or was it just like, "Oh, I can do this"? I, well, I was like, I can do this, and like I can try to do this and see what happens. And then I did the first show. And, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have good material, but I was very comfortable on stage. And when I finished, I was like, I can get good at this. I know I can get good at this. And I just want to get very good at it. And, um, and then after doing it about, I don't know how long, at a certain point, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I, I'll do something with comedy. I don't know what it'll be at the least. I'll just tour comedy clubs. And I'd rather do that than any other job. What was the career that you left behind? Nothing. I was just in college. So I, I you know, by the time I finished college, I was kind of, doing okay and I could do colleges for shows and stuff and and um I was kind of on my way a little bit but how how long ago did you when was when you first started how many years ago I was 19 1998 1998 wait what so 1998 man so I was 2001 you know what's interesting is I think about like when we started right like you didn't know many comedians right it was only yeah. a few and now there's so many comedians that are famous and have Netflix specials and it's like oh, okay it's much more of a path but like when I was young like it was just like Eddie Murphy and Chris Rock like that's yeah that, that was it the 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 success pie it was a lot smaller of, of people that were 
doing it that won for it. I'm gonna tell you what really changed, right? Because you got to think if this was we came up in the in the time where you know I call it the time of the deal. Where, where the comedians were being given deals, right? And it was, you know, you go look at Jim Brewer, you know, uh, you go look at, um, I mean, God, David Spade. You go look at a lot of those guys that were coming up and they had like these development deals. I remember, like, it was like the, the land of comedians are supposed to get sitcoms. And if you yeah. got a sitcom, that meant that you were making it, right? And, you know, that, that was our trajectory. That was the path that we were on. That was the dream. And now, like you said, it's every, there's so many. There's so many comics. Um, and there's so many different, there's so many doors that these comics can go through, right? And we didn't, we didn't have that. It was either an HBO special, a Comedy Central special, or some type of deal to get a sitcom. Something, something in that, in that order was, was, it was just, that was the road. That was the road that you were trying to get on to go down to win. Um, for you, what, what was the first win? What was that first, that first moment of success for you? I, you know, the, it, and it's, it's a small, amount of success, but it meant so much to me at the time. And, and it still, you know, is an exciting moment for me was when I was still kind of doing open mics and stuff. And then I, um, I did an audition at the comic strip, uh, which is a club in the Upper East Side of New York. And uh, I got passed there, meaning they were like, oh, you can be a regular here. And it was such a big deal because it was kind of the first time like someone was actually saying like, you are a comedian. Like someone's actually paying you to do this. Even if mm. it's like 15 bucks or whatever, you're not just a dude who's just showing up at open mics. And like that kind of validation was, it, it was huge, you know? And, um, you know, that was like one of the first moments I remember like feeling like, oh wow, like- uh, You're a comic. Something, yeah, I done it. Yeah, you're, you're a fucking comic. Um, were you ever a part of like a, a, a circle? Right. Like, you know how there, there's a moment, especially in the city where you start to you start to frequent and go around. And because of that, you find yourself inside a inside a circle. Right. Like my circle was Keith Robinson, Patrice O'Neill, Voss, Norton, um, you know, Burr. Like that was our that was our circle. We had a little 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 a little camaraderie, camaraderie within our within our friendship, but that was my hangout circle. Um, did you have that? Did you go through a phase where, where you found yourself in one? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely guys like, you know, Nick Kroll and, and, and John Mulaney and that kind of era of uh, people. Um, and we would see each other around all the time. And, you know, these guys are also doing pretty well and we would kind of do a lot of the same stuff, whether it's like, you know, going to Montreal or Aspen or whatever it is, and you kind of end up, you know, becoming buddies with everybody. Did you find yourself ever in a space where uh, you were on the opposite side of like the conversation, you know, like uh, it gets very competitive in, in stand-up comedy, right? And as you were making it, were you a part of the conversations of why the fuck is he getting it? Why is this guy getting shot? I mean, usually when those conversations are happening, they're not having them with you. They're usually uh, talking amongst each other, but yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that that still happens. There's always some version of that even even where we're at now, you know, but uh, I think what has changed is like, you know, at a certain point, the people that kind of do that thing, they kind of just, they're not around, you know what I mean? You don't see them around mm -hmm. anymore. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's also different now because there's just so much 
it's not like it was back then where it's like, oh, you, there's only so many sitcoms on ABC or NBC or whatever. There's so many different things you can do. Exactly. You can do, you can do a podcast, you can do whatever. So it doesn't feel like there's like a limited number of, of spots. You know what I mean? What I love about you is that your creativity is always on display, man. Like you're, um, you're, you're an artist. And, and I want to make sure I say that um, with, a, with a hell of a tone. And 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 you know a, a high level of 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 passion behind it because you know as as comedians you know we we do perform and we we are artists to some degree but then you have some comedians that really flourish in in finding ways to put their artists um, or their side of art on on display differently and and you you really do that you're you're a visionary you're you're extremely creative and even from your last special the one that you just put out man like you know the title the name the 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 cover your the tour like when you put the dates together like there's a there's a there's a thought process and and I love the way you break shit down um is that is that a priority to you? Is it is it is it the 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 recreating of self? Is that a priority to you at this point in your career of, of figuring out new ways to present Aziz and Sorry? Well, you know what was interesting is the 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 special that's coming out. I don't I don't know when this is coming out, but the special comes out on the twenty sixth, I think. And um, I wasn't planning on doing this. I was in New York in like October and I hadn't done stand up at all. I hadn't done stand up. I didn't do stand up at all during the lockdown. I was in London the whole time. Um, my girlfriend lives in London, so I was there for the whole lockdown and, and, and I wasn't doing any of the shows in parking lots or any of that kind of stuff. So when I came back to New York in October, that was the first time I was able to like go up and I, and I went to the comedy cellar and, and you know, I was like, hey, I'm just gonna go up for fun. I'm not gonna, you know, do a bunch of sets or whatever, but you, you know how the, the bug is. So I, I, I went up and then I, I, I just started going up all the time. And then, you know, I had a decent amount of material and, and it, was, it was around the time I saw you, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about just recording this material without doing like a huge tour and just putting it out quickly because, you know, a lot of the stuff is very of the moment about COVID or whatever, and it's not gonna last kind of the two year cycle. I mean, I don't know if most people know that, you know, most of us, most of the time, the kind of process we do you start working on material at a club, it kind of grows, you start doing bigger club shows and you start doing small theaters and then you kind of do your bigger shows. And then at some point in the middle of that tour, you film it as a special. But that kind of period from like when you first started doing some of these jokes to when you film, it's a long time. So the joke kind of becomes something a little different for you. Maybe you're a little tired of it, you don't have the same enthusiasm you had for it in the beginning just from doing it so many times. So. When I saw you, I think it was like maybe November, I was, I was, you know, I had yeah. this idea of like, oh, what if I just film it and also try to capture, you know, what we were doing that night at the Comedy Cellar, which is like, oh, like, I think that was like me, you and Chris, or maybe it was just me and you. And we dropped in at the Comedy Cellar, the audience didn't know we we're coming and we we're performing in this really intimate venue where there's like, you know, 80, people. And a lot of times those are some of my favorite shows, more so than the big, you know, theaters or whatever, you know. And so when I was thinking about what would be exciting to do to kind of make it feel different, because at this point it's like, it's pretty insane if you think about how many specials we have, you know. Like we have so many specials, you know. Yeah. When you look at some of the great comedians, older comedians, they didn't film this many specials. So it's like, all right, you keep filming these specials. There's also 
so many people filming specials now that, you know, to do something that feels a little different, I guess that is in the back of my head a little bit. So the idea was like, oh, like what if we really try to capture this feeling of doing a set in a nightclub, like one of these shows that people get when they come to the cellar and me or yourself just pops in and, you know, it is a bit more intimate and it doesn't feel like all these specials that we do where we're in a big theater. So I was excited by that idea. And so I, I was like, all right, let's do this as fast as we can. I filmed it like in the middle of December. And then, you know, the fastest Netflix could put it out was, you know, the 26th of January. So I had this month and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll do shows on the weekend and that'll be it. I mean, and cause then, you know, once the special comes out, that material is burned. So I just had this month to kind of do stuff. And, um, and that's what I did. So it kind of, I called it the last minute tour. Cause I mean, that's what it was. And it's crazy. Cause I announced the tour and the day I announced the tour, I tested positive for, for COVID. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to come, like what's going to happen. But you know, the shows have been fine. Like people have come, but it, it's weird. Cause I'll like drive up to the venue or, and I'll see this long line of people. I'm like, where are all these people doing? They're all going to get COVID. Are they crazy? What are they doing? Oh, fuck. They're coming to my show. <laughs> oh. oh, that's right. They're coming to see me. That's right. That's, I forgot. Yeah. Uh, the name of the special, ladies and gentlemen, the name of the special is uh, Nightclub Comedian. And, you know, just to, just to reiterate some of the things that Aziz said here that's so dope about it, man. You know, we bumped into each other in the city. Um, and, you know, I was going to the city because I, I like he just said you get this bug and it's weird you know it starts off it starts off as just something that's very low key it's like yeah i'm gonna go and i'm just gonna see what the fuck happens i'm gonna go on stage and see what can come out of me just talking and what happens is you get to talking and you start falling in love with some of the shit that you were saying so me and aziz were just beating up spots and by that i mean we were just going up we were going up uh you know three four times out the week uh doing multiple sets and Aziz, I said, dude, are you working on some stuff? And he's like, yeah, I feel like I got some good shit. And I sat down and I watched him. And that's the most exciting part of this craft. You know, when you get to see your peers, when you get to see your peers work on their on their material, when you get to see them in the in the comedy gym. And I sat back and I watched Aziz, man. And I, I, I loved to watch him work. I love to watch him really work. Like you, you see the jokes, you can see where he's thinking, you can see where he's mixing, you can see where he's rearranging. Uh, he's got his pad. But the thing that I love the most is he's, I saw some happiness. I saw a guy that was happy with the fucking craft. Yeah, no, you don't realize how much you miss it until you start doing it again. And I, you know, I, I, I like writing and directing and I'm working on a project now. So I was like, oh, I don't have time to do a tour. I don't have time to do stand up. I, I don't have time to really like fully throw myself in this. But then when I was there in October, you know, there's something about it. It's kind of like, I mean, look, like you do so many things and then you still always find time to do stand up. And, and you were there that night, you know, and, and I saw you working and like you can tell when you see us up there, it's that same thing. I saw it in your face, too. It's like there's something you get from this this craft where the people are right there and you're getting an immediate reaction and it's almost you know the best shows are almost these shows where it's like oh that that was just that was just us and those people and what happened that night that was a singular thing no one's gonna see that exact show ever again it's not possible and it was really fun something was connecting with you in this crowd and you know that's what i was trying to capture with the special and i think you know it is an interesting process when you know, when we're at the cellar and like, like you're there, or Chris is there and we're all like working on stuff and you kind of see 
it's fun for us, I think, because like I watch you and, and, and you see like, oh, the seeds of these bits that are just starting out. And you're like, oh, man, in like a couple of months, that's going to be that's going to be a monster. And, and that's exactly. I do run into you or Chris or whoever a couple of months later and you see how that bit has evolved and where you go. And uh, it, it's really cool. You saw the baby before the baby walked. Um, you, you saw the baby and, and it's like, oh my God, I, like you said, I see where that's going. Uh, I, love, I love how you did it. I love, I love that the audience is actually going to be able to take away a full impromptu experience um, that you turned into a special. You know, those pop-up sets, like you said, is not just amazing for you. It's always amazing for the audience that doesn't expect it because you're getting a genuine surprise. You're getting a genuine reaction and they find themselves engulfed in some shit that they had no idea that they were coming there to see. It's, it's, it's the best. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Dude, I started going out. I did my first theater. I did Bakersfield. I went to Bakersfield and did like a little 2,000 seat oh, theater. Nice. Just to see how it felt. To see how it felt, and it it felt like fucking it's a much different thing to be in being a theater, right? Like yes, I, I I I did my ten days of isolation and did a show in Charlotte like the next day, and like it it's so different to be with that bigger crowd and and that bigger space. And how how did you like it? How did the set feel? In it's, it felt good. It felt good, you know. I need to, I need to see where the laughs are. What's the consistency, you know? Where are my gaps at? What needs to improve? Yeah. How am I getting off? And it, there was such a nice flow. And what I knew would happen, I said, when I get up there, you know, you get a different energy. You know, that the bigger, the bigger the room, there's a different energy. There's a different yeah. pep in your step, and that that adds as another joke. That adds as another another layer to your to your funny at that point. And it played a major factor, you know, it really, it really, it really made me, uh, it just kind of amped up the excitement to put some dates together and, and figure out the tour and when and what, like I'm, I'm in there now.
Yeah, I mean, at this point, I've done, I, I realized the other day that I, I've been doing it like 20 years, which is so crazy to think like I, there's been more in my life where I've been doing stand up than not doing stand up. And um, when doing the tour this time, I realized I, I really love the comedy club sets because there's something cool about them not knowing you're coming. And there's something that's a little bit looser. And it's almost like there's a little more permission to, to not care, which makes you a better comedian, you know? And like when people come to the theater, mm. you're kind of like, oh, damn, well, they paid mm. a lot of money. I, I really got to give them a show. You can't, I mean, you still try to be loose and whatever, but you're never, you're never able to push it quite as much as you can in the club. But I mean, I, I try my best, but there's something about like, I don't know, I love creating these nights where like, there's a few of us and the audience doesn't know and, and they really, you know, get this crazy show. Especially like, you know, when you know they're like really comedy fans, like some of the times, you know, that you and I have done that, there are people that are there at like, you know, 1230 on a, on a Wednesday. So, you know, it's really, they weren't expecting it and they're, they're really there yeah. for comedy and, and it's such a fun, fun thing to do. Let's shift gears real quick, man. Let's go to, to you now and the other side of creativity, right? You know, uh, a stand-up comedian you are and an amazing one. Um, constantly, like I said, recreating yourself, putting out new material. Um, but then after that, there's this shift. You know, you went to the space of development within television and you ended up developing uh, one of the most successful series um, on Netflix's platform, right? Master of None. You, you went and you put this idea together. Where did this come from? Where did the, where did the want to 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 kind of be there master none was just uh you know alan yang who co-created the show with me me and him were working together on parks and rec and uh he was a writer on the show and i was an actor on the show and you know as that show was ending oh hi who's this this is my little guy he's a fan but he also he also has no respect uh, for dad when dad's working hmm? yes you hey, want to sit no, up here so with dad does it go ahead <laughs> come on sit on my lap this is uh kenzo Kenzo is four years old. Whoa. Yeah, he'll sit here. He'll sit here with his dad all day. And just he'll listen. He'll do exactly what he's doing right now. Just watch you. Say hi so we can finish talking. Hi. There you oh, go. hi, talking. Kenzo. Yeah, that's right. You got some of these coming soon. Oh, Don't yeah. you worry, buddy. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just wait. Uh, come on. I want it. Give it to me, Master of None. So we were like, let's do a show together. And you know, what's crazy is we did the show for Netflix and this is at a time when no one was doing Netflix shows. You know, mm -hmm. the idea of doing a Netflix mm -hmm. show was still, like when we went to pitch the show, there were three posters there. It was, it was House of Cards, Orange is the New Black and Lilyhammer. Like that was it. They didn't have this whole empire like they have now. So, but they were really enthusiastic about us doing a show together. And, um, and we kind of took a gamble on Netflix, which now is not a gamble at all. But back then it was a little bit of like, oh, well, I think this will work. And yeah, it was a great experience. And, and you know, the show was, uh, you know, I think the show worked because it was kind of, it was the kind of first show like this where like someone that looked like me was leading the show and kind of showing like our version of New York with, you know, the kind of diversity that we see really in our friend group and stuff like that. And, you know, it was... Uh, it was, it was a great experience and and you know we did the first two seasons and then the third season we did recently and that i did something you know completely different it was more of a dramatic season and uh, that was really fun and and uh you know it was cool that they let us push it that far and try something that different that's what i love i love that it you know you you have levels in it 
right? Like the when you talk about the dramatic version, and also like there's a nice little dramedy side to it, right? Like it's comedy, and you got a nice little a nice little tone. But I think it puts your talent on display in a different way. Um, here's what I wanted to say though, right? Like with you, Master of None. So you get the success, your show becomes success. Your stardom now is amplified because people now are identifying you with not just stand up, but now they've got this show. Um, how was that for you? How was it? How was the fame side of it, right? Have you have you responded well to the attention, to the spotlight, to the fame, to the oh my God, that's or is it something that you know uh, you try to be a little more reserved with? Well, you know, I kind of take lots of breaks in between. You know, like after we did season one, we took a break before season two. I did the same with with season three, just to kind of have a recharge and you know, whether it's doing a stand-up tour or whatever, like, I kind of, like, uh, I kind of go off duty for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I, kinda, I don't, like, keep doing stuff all the time. I kind of, mm. I kind of just stop and, and kind of take time to work on a script or whatever. So I never get so, I never feel like I'm so in the fame moment, you know? But, Got you. you know, obviously, like, at a certain point, it is, it is what it is. And, like, you know, I'm in LA and they're like taking pictures while I'm at the grocery store or something. <laughs> it's like, all right, well. What? Is it, is that for your mental though? Do you feel like, you know, you've just always been aware of that space and that separation just for you to kind of be better for yourself, for your craft? Like, how did you, how did you develop that understanding of after I do something, let me make sure I take some time to myself. Well, look, it, it's not even about, it's time to myself to kind of be a person, but it's also time to kind of just recharge and to kind of develop. And, you know, look, I talk about this in the special, right? There's kind of, there's kind of, there's like two modes, right? There's one mode, like I'd say like you or someone like Lena, you guys have so many projects and you're, you're kind of always running pretty fast. You have a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to do that. I always just kind of, it ends up kind of spreading me thin and I don't have as much fun and I don't feel like I'm, doing the work I want to do as much. So I kind of made a choice of like, hey, I'm only going to work on the things I work on and really just focus on those and take my time with them. And, um, and the story I tell is in this special is about, you know, I ran into Frank Ocean one time and I asked him, I was like, hey, what, how do you do it? Like, you, you, you never do press, you never tour. Like, what, what's, the, what's the secret? And you still have a great career. And he was like, oh, you just got to be comfortable making less money. And it fucking... Yeah hit me. I was like, Oh, well, yeah. that is the secret. Yeah. And so it I kind of, I kind of made that choice to kind of, you know, just not do as much stuff, but kind of really focus on the things I do. And, um, and, and, and that works better for me and the stuff that I make. I feel, I feel like I'm able to kind of put out stuff that I feel better about and kind of give that focus and that time. Cause when I, when I kind of do too many things, whenever I try to multitask in that way, it kind of gets hard for me. I mean, even this has been hard. Like, I've been doing the special and then I'm prepping this other project and kind of, they're both kind of colliding and, it, and it's a lot, but the, once the special comes out, I'm kind of done, right? I'm not doing any, anything else, but. Um, it's exactly what you said though. It's that, it's that decision. It's being comfortable with that decision. Right. And you know, the, the, the financial gain that's attached to our craft, of course, it's amazing, but when you're able to make a decision that's best for you, once again, your mindset, your mental, um, ultimately, that's, that's, the, that's the real value. That's the real. The two, the two stories I always think about are that Frank Ocean story, and then another story I think about is I heard the story where someone was trying to get Jack Nicholson to do something, and he's you know retired or whatever, and they kept pushing him, and, and eventually he said something like, oh, you know what I did today? Uh, I sat under a tree and I read a book. 
And I heard that and I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And then I realized, oh, well, I could do that every day if I wanted to. I just choose not to do that. And it, you know, thinking about that and just thinking about, oh yeah, like how you choose to spend your time, like it is your choice. And, and, and it's easy to kind of say like, oh, I wish I could do that. And it's like, yeah, you can, you have to make the choice to do it and, and not do this and, you know, maybe make less money or whatever it is and, and turn down opportunities. It's all a choice, but I'm really happy with the way that I have my stuff set up, but that that's for me. And that's what I, that's, that's what I do. And it works for me. That's not for everybody. And I'm not like, not like poo poo and the other way of doing things. It's just, you know, No, you're you're saying what works for you. You also, uh, you talked about, uh, your, your girlfriend for a brief second of her living in London. Um, you know, right now, where are you at on the side of family on the side of, you know, wanting kids, you just saw my little one come in here and I was fucking with you saying, Jesus, this is what happens. You ready for this? And you're like, Oh man, you know, I'm, I'm 38 now. And, and it's weird. Cause when we make these specials, it's kind of an interesting time capsule of where your head's at. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch like, I did a special called Buried Alive. And in that one, I'm like terrified about having kids or whatever. And, and, you know, uh, there's also specials where I'm like frustrated about dating and being single. And now it's like, yeah, I'm engaged and I'm, I'm just like fully in and, and I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of at the age and point in my life. And I found the partner that I want to go on that journey with. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do it, man. I'm ready. That's dope. That's so dope, man. And you, you know, you, you couldn't have said it better just about the timeline uh, of, of events, you know, of, 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 of where we were at certain points in times in our lives. And it's on display in these comedy specials. And when you go back, you go back and you look at it, it's like, holy fuck. Like, I really have put my entire life, like, on display. Like, my, my fans, my audience, well, they've grown with me as I've grown, as I've, as I've matured into this person that I am today. Well, you can see where you can see when we both both started when we were 19 we were like we started when we were kids i mean the the special i don't know if you you saw it but it starts with 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 the clip of me that some nyu kid filmed like you know doc footage of me when i was 19 like going up at the cellar and i was watching it i was like oh my god i'm like a kid like you don't even realize how young you were and like both of us we started so young we I mean, how old were you when your first special came out? Probably like mid-20s? 24, I want to say. I mean, I was about, you know, I was around that, hovering around the same age when my first special came out. It's like, yeah, we're kind of like little kids. You know, even though we're like 20, it's like a kid compared to now, you know? And you see us talking and kind of talking about everything we think and believe and what we're worried about. And it is an interesting kind of time capsule. I mean, it's also like a little bit of an embarrassing time capsule sometimes too. But you know, it's awesome. it is. <laughs> you you then right? I mean, just shifting more gears now because you wear so many hats. Uh, you said you write. Uh, of course, we know that because of your work behind the creative of your your series. But now you're wearing this director's hat, man. You you yeah. you fall in love with directing. Um, when did you make that decision? I mean, was that one of the things while doing the series? You said that you wanted to play around with, you wanted to try and do, and yeah. the bug bit you again. How did you fall in love with this? Well, I uh, I directed a few episodes of. Uh, season one, that was the first time I directed. And then I directed more episodes when we did season two. I think I directed like two episodes in season one and season two, I directed like four or five. And then season three, I directed all of them because I'd worked on the scripts 
uh, with Lena and I felt really close to the scripts and really had a very specific idea of how I wanted to kind of show the story. And um, yeah, I mean, look, when, whenever you do stand up, I mean, you know this, like when we do stand up, it, it, it's such a unique job in show business because you have so much control over everything. You're your own boss and everything. No one can really tell you anything, you know, like it's so just about you. Like, I mean, when we turn in a stand-up special, no one, no one gives notes on stand-up specials, really. You know, it is what you turn in. You're kind of, you know, you're kind of the director in, in every regard. So I, I think doing stand-up, I'm used to that kind of being able to be that specific about what I want and what I want to create that, you know, when I write a script, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, someone else directing it or whatever, because when I'm writing, I kind of have this specific vision. And also, you know, as I've been doing it the last few years, I've kind of developed my process of kind of taking these scripts and kind of developing an end product. So it's a, it's a process that I feel like I have to do to kind of, you know, uh, get it where I want it to be. Do you see this taking the place of what the stand up, uh, that stand up basically, there's a, there's a high level of fulfillment that comes with comedy, right? You getting on that yeah. stage. Is your, is your passion for directing matching that to where it could replace that as you get older and, you know, get on the side? It's ultimately, we're always doing the same thing, right? It's just our mind kind of analyzing, you know, life and, and humanity and, and, and all the experiences that we're going through. And that will come out in, in your films or your stand-up or, or whatever, right? It's just kind of you processing the world. So, you know, stand-up, you can kind of do different things. And stand-up, there's that immediacy where, like, something can happen that morning and then you're talking about it. Or, like, something's in the news right now and you can talk about it. Whereas a film or TV, you know, it's a much longer uh, gestation period before it comes out. But that, that's what's so special about stand-up. You know, I'm dabbling in the world of directing. You know, it's like uh, for me, it's just the time, though, Aziz. Like the, there's the amount of time that you got to put into the project. You got to you got to be a part of it afterwards, the editing side yeah. of it. I mean, there's there's so much. There's so, so much that you have to do. Right. It's just like, holy shit. It's a lot. It's a lot. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I have that amount of time that I can put into something. It's gotta be a thing, it's gotta be a show or a movie that you're really, it's gotta be one where you're like, oh, I, I gotta do it, and you'll just know. I mean, that's how I feel anyway, it's like, oh, I, I, I Yeah, I think, I think that's what it is, and it's like, what, and I also think that it's gonna be, I'm gonna do like, um, something that would act as a passion project. Like, it would have to be, it would have to be the comedy that I, like, okay, this is something that I developed, this is a story that I want to tell, and it's very specific, right? So, if I can crack that code, then I think I will. But I, until then, I just, I'm more fearful of the idea of being attached to a project for eight months to a year. That's the scary part. That's the part that I don't know if I could do. No, it's a long time. I mean, you really gotta be, you gotta be in. When I tell you, when I tell you, here's the funny thing about my household. So my wife knows I'm doing my podcast. She knows, right? But my wife is so pissed. Okay, I'll get it, Zoe. My wife is so pissed that the kids pull her all day that she gets to this point where she just goes, fuck it. 
and and she doesn't care where they go or what they do. Like she knows, she knows that I'm in here working. She she when I say she not only knows, I actually told her before I started it that I'm about to start the podcast with Aziz. So honey, just make sure nobody comes in the office. She knows he's back here. She knows he's gonna bug me. She doesn't give a shit. She doesn't give two shits, Aziz. You know why? Because she's had it. She's she's had it, and they've driven her crazy. And now I got two teenagers. My teenagers know that I'm down here working. You know what my teenagers do? They don't do a goddamn thing, Aziz. They just sit in the room. They just let all this other stuff happen. So as you say you want kids, I want you to understand this is what it turns into, right? See this right here? This is what it, this is what it turns into. So when you say, hey, Kev, why are you out? Why are you out doing all these jobs? Why are you working so much? Well, here you go, Aziz. Huh? <laughs> here you go. Because you got to get out. You got to find ways to get a break. Do you understand That's me? That's why you're in the tub. That's so, why you're in that cold tub. That's like, why I'm in the cold can't, tub. Can't jump in the tub. I gotta go in there, sitting there with with LeBron or whoever, and just, that's and just what it be around is. friends, and I'll that's, get paid for it. That's exactly maybe, maybe what right. it is. The cold tub, the heart to heart, the podcast, the 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 straight from the heart, it all. You with your kids with with screens and stuff? Are they just on screens all the time, or do you try to limit the screen time? Or no, you gotta limit it. You gotta limit it because it's it's addictive, man. So you gotta find the educational stuff on them, give it to them, let them watch some stuff on there, but just try to do it in doses to where it's not crazy, crazy. You know what I mean? But I can I can be honest though. I have I have very good kids, like. They're they're not a lot. Like that's that's his that's his version of a turn up. His version of turned up is coming in the office. Right, and, he's, pretty, he's pretty calm. Yeah, he's not he's not crazy. That could have been worse. That could have been embarrassing disease. You could have looked at me and said, Jesus Christ, Kevin's household is a shit show. But it's not the case. You saw that it's very much in control. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about the Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of the Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So, what do people get when they listen to the Late Show Pod Show? Let's let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we, we've talked about you, the world of comedy. We've talked about your new special that's dropping January 25th. We talked about the development in which it it, it basically, uh, all that it has that's into it. I love the fact that you took a different creative approach. Um, we talked about you and just the impromptu tour and how you came about. Um, you now as a writer, you now as a director within the show. Um, I know there's projects that you're doing that you can't talk about, that you can't discuss, but I think the world is in for a hell of a treat, man, when they find out that your passion and energy is is not just, not just exactly what and where it's supposed to be but the material the material is the same man um you got some big things coming up really really big things where where does aziz want to be in five years uh you know i'm i'm really happy where i'm at now and if i can just kind of keep getting to do stand up every now and then and put out specials and do tours and then in between that work on you know writing and directing projects that i'm i'm passionate about whether they're films or other seasons of master or whatever I mean, that's that's that would be a dream for me i'm i'm i'm, I'm all good 
So there is no there is no goal of a certain amount of specials that you want to have in a can. Uh, are you are you looking for accolades? Are you just are you just in it just for for the self fulfillment of you and happiness for you? I think uh, yeah. I mean, it's more about just kind of making work I'm I'm proud of. Because look, I've done stuff where I've gotten the awards and all this stuff, and I've done stuff where you know maybe that didn't come. Uh, but in the end of the day, like what's left is the work you've made. And if you feel good about it, then you won. Like, that's what I've realized. And, um, mm. you know, I, I'm, I, I just want to be creatively fulfilled and, you know, I want to follow your path and have some kids and, and have a family and all that. And, and, uh, that's enough. I mean, look, man, the, the thing with both of us is we, we both started so young, you know, by the time we were in our late thirties or whatever, we've, we've already done so many of the things that we've already went through so many yeah. things. So we're kind of like, old guard at a certain point. So, you know, I, I'm not, yeah. you know, I, not that I'm not ambitious, but like, not like I'm kind of ambitious in a different way. I'm like ambitious in a quieter way of like, Oh, I just want to make stuff that like, you know, I can show, like, I want to make a special that like, you know, like whenever you saw me do that set and afterwards you're like, man, you got some stuff like that. That means a lot to me. You know, like I realized like, yeah, the respect of your peers, like the genuine respect of your peers. And, you know, we all know when it's genuine, like, you know, when like you or Chris or whoever says like, dude, that's some, that's, that's fire. Like, that's good. That, that to me is the, the home run. And, um, nice. th and then kind of continuing to, to make stuff that I'm, I'm proud to show my friends and whether it's other standups or writers and directors like that, that, that's, that's really the bar for me. You know, I've realized that's kind of the, the, the better bar to separate yourself in the way. What, uh, what else do you do, you know, outside of this craft, outside of the entertainment? Are there any other hobbies? Are there any other ventures? Have you, have you taken a liking to some other things that you have thrown time towards or, or no? I just, uh, you know, I live a pretty quiet, quiet life. I cook a lot. I, cook, I you know, during the pandemic, I learned like all of my mom's recipes, like, uh, like all the Indian food that I ate as a kid. I, I, I I love to cook, and um, other than that, I'm just kind of just just working on the stuff and and doing stand up, and that's pretty. Where does the money go? What do you do? The money goes into where does it go? I mean, I, it goes to you know I don't really spend that much money. It all just goes to a little low interest money market account. <laughs> <laughs> Not a splurge. Has there has there been one splurge? Is there has there been one? You know what? I'm going to treat myself. The the the, the splurges are like when I you know go on vacation with my friends, okay. something like that. Like I'll, there we go. I'll go to, go to Italy or whatever. I'm kind of a, a, a Z's parody in that regard. But like, yeah, look, man, I, 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 when you, when you only do a few projects, you have the whole summer free. You can just, you can just dick around. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'll like, but I'll like write and stuff. You know what I mean? Like it, it's like vacation, but like during the morning I will like write, I'll write a few pages. Like, if, you know, I always, I always think in my head like, oh, if you just write like five pages a day, like that's so much. It adds up so quick, you know. And um, so even that actually is a great. That's a great way to look at it too. You know, if you, you, know, if you it's you like know, uh, you know, Kurosawa, you're, you're cutting away. You're cutting away at it. Yeah, you know Kurosawa, Japanese yes. director. He, yes. he his his thing was five pages a day. So I saw that. I was like, damn. If he did five pages a day, that guy made so many movies. I mean, that that's that that's a that's a good good number then. 
it's a great number, but really, if you look at the philosophy, I mean, you're 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 gonna look up, and in you know two months' time, well, depending on how much you've written, there's there's so much creativity, but you're always applying yourself. That's what I like about it. I I, I come from the school of how much energy are you putting into you, right? Like at at the at the top of your day, what is the amount of energy going into you what are you doing what's the what do you start out with whether it's your workout whether it's the cup of coffee the laptop whether it's the research and then and then uh you know summarizing the research that you made whatever it is how do you work on the craft um of you what what is it that you're doing to apply so when you say that about five pages a day three pages a day whatever that thing is well you're never going to lose you're never going to lose because you're always working on you yeah i mean look i think so much of what i'm trying to do now a lot of it is kind of you know creating that space for your mind whether it's like you know meditating or like um i mean you know my all that stuff i have with like not using email and having a phone yeah. and just kind of trying to be inaccessible to kind of just is i found like the biggest help for me is like just the more room i give my mind to kind of rest and breathe the more productive i can be i mean that material i wrote for the special i started in like october and then i started doing shows by christmas that's the fastest i've ever put it together and i think it i think it holds up i think it's as good as the other hours i don't think it's like a shitty hour i'm doing you know? like, well, but it was also, i would have been that fast if i didn't do all this other stuff i do uh, to kind of keep my head clear you know yeah you're sharper you're also sharper with it craft um and you know the the one thing that you've always done a good job and that's why i asked you earlier just have you always been conscious of it it's just like you're you're removed without being removed you know, like, you know, you're just, you're, 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 you're distant from the bullshit. It's not, it's not around you. You're not, you're not privy to it. And I think for you, it, it acts as a hell of a helping aid. You know what I mean? Like your, your mind is always in a good place. Yeah. I don't really keep up the news and all this stuff. Like, I mean, I mean, like, I don't know, however many years ago, I kind of started turning off the internet and, and, you know, I deleted all the social media and all this stuff. And I've slowly just kept going further and further. You know, I stopped using email like maybe like four years ago. And I mean, look, I know all this stuff is like, oh, yeah, I'm in a position where I, I can do that and have, you know, whatever certain privileges to, to be able to pull it off an assistant or whatever. But but all that stuff, I do think helps me get more done, kind of taking care of stuff or whatever, whether it's, you know, it's like working out or meditating, or all that kind of stuff. It all kind of it's almost like I kind of started thinking about like. You know, everyone thinks about their diet and what they eat. Like at a certain point, like it's also about thinking about your mental diet and like what you're putting in your head, uh, you know, whether it's like, oh, looking at the same four websites, constantly checking New York Times like 50 times a day. At a certain point, it's like, yeah, that's not really, yeah, it's not really helping. Yeah. You know I, what I, mean? I like the, I like the side of just having a, having a, a, a self checkpoint, right? It's like you, you, the, yeah. there's a checkpoint and it's, and it's, I know what's good for me i know what i can take i know what i need and what i don't need and things that i don't need i don't have to have access to so i can limit that access and that goes through a different portal and that portal doesn't get to me and i make the decisions off of what does i think that's strong that's strong and as we get older especially in this business you gotta fucking do it more more than not um i'm definitely gonna feel some pieces of it you know because i'm 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 way too accessible uh to to a certain degree um 
well, I'm here if you, if you need my, my tips. I, 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 I've done it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, yeah. man. I, I will take you up on that disease, but you've given me a lot, man. Um, you inspire me, dude. Like, I, I love talking to you. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a friend. And, and I'm proud of you, dude. I'm, I'm genuinely happy for you. People don't always know who knows each other and stuff, but, you know, we've known each other for a long time. I remember you, you coming to my show in Montreal when I was a kid doing a show there and and uh you know you've always been super nice to me and and uh you know I appreciate you and and uh thanks for having me on and and always I, I always love when 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 we're at the comedy club and, and you both are there and I get to see what you're up to and and um I have so much respect for you as well and, and just kind of you know I saw your show at at the Hollywood Bowl whenever that last tour was and I was like damn like he I mean he, even with all the movies and stuff you're you're still able to dedicate so much to stand up and you really care about the craft and 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 i'm the same way so you know i i appreciate you well it's paying off man and it will continue ladies and gentlemen uh this is comedy gold mines you know what we do here we get inside the minds of amazing comedians and oh my god what an amazing mind this one was uh aziz and sorry guys make sure you catch a special uh it will be on netflix january 25th if this is on after that well god damn it make sure you tune in it's called nightclub comedian a great creative approach to the craft uh one that i think others will be blown away by hopefully you as fans will be too uh and look, if he's got dates up, go check him out. The guy's fucking funny, forever funny. And the guy's a creative. So his show, season three now. Oh my God. Season three, man. Um, that's not something to be frowned upon. That's a big goddamn deal, man. Master of none. Um, doing big things there, writing. Uh, producing, directing, and he's got crazy things coming your way. I'm going to be hush about it because I think his announcement, when that announcement comes, is going to be big. You got a lot, a lot, a lot to look forward to when it comes to the business of Aziz and Sorry. Thank you again, Aziz. I appreciate you, man. Love you, dude. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil with Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.